please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, and you can find that on page 818 in your pew Bible. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil." But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. With their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you, do, what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And for what is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Amen. Thank you, Danielle. Good morning to you. Let me just say a word of prayer for us, and then we'll look at uh, this long set of verses here. Father, we pray now that you would help us to listen well so that we might uh, learn and that in our learning we might live, that we might live full and abundant lives in the way that the word pictures come out of this parable. We look to you, Lord, to help us, to teach us, that you would uh, woo us to yourself, that you would soften hard hearts, that you would uh, turn the distracted attentively towards you, and that you would do so for your glory and our good, as we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. A few summers ago, I was mowing our lawn, and like you probably, I noticed that we had an increased, increased infestation of dandelions. So after mowing, I went into the garage, and I grabbed a, a can of the Weed Be Gone, and I started walking all over our front yard, and I liberally sprayed the sauce everywhere the dandelions were, were present. And then I waited a couple of days for the anticipation of them uh, turning brown and dying, which is, of course, exactly what happened. However, it wasn't the only thing that happened, because in addition to the weeds turning brown and dying, there were also large portions of my green, lush lawn that started to turn brown. And I started to think to myself, I think I did something wrong. I went into the garage, and my worst fears were confirmed. Instead of grabbing the weed be gone, I had grabbed the lawn be gone, that kills everything. And so, really, within a matter of days, there were large circles of death uh, sprinkled all over my front yard. I then had to endure the scorn of my neighbors who would walk by and go, what in the world happened? Eventually, uh, the growth did come back because we reseeded the soil liberally. We watered it generously. We pleaded with our little boys at that point, please do not stomp on the little plants. We're trying to get them grow. Uh, we need some growth here. Well, I've told that story before, and if you've heard it, thanks for bearing with my repetition. But really, as I sat in my office this week, I said, I can't come up with a better introduction to Matthew 13 than, uh, than this right here, because the story that Jesus tells is about plants that produce a great harvest and other plants that don't because they turn brown and die, just like my front lawn. Now, you probably know that Jesus' story isn't really meant to primarily stir up the interest of farmers and garden enthusiasts. Uh, it's actually an anecdote about spiritual things. The story of the soil and the sower is probably Jesus' most famous parable, maybe second most, uh, but because it gives us a window into the inner lives of people. It provides an explanation for why only some people Respond to what the Bible says and experience uh, abundant and fruitful growth in their lives It's a story that's really pretty easy to understand But then once you get it, it can really make you pretty uncomfortable Because Jesus is making the point that if we aren't experiencing growth and change It's because the soil of our heart is unprepared to receive the seed of God's word now, as mentioned, uh, this story about soil, seeds, and a sower is actually from the genre of a parable. Jesus loves to tell little parables because uh, they're a teaching form that uh, provides a little punchy way for him to communicate spiritual meaning, really through the everyday illustrations of, of life. Not only do, does Jesus tell parables uh, to uh, teach spiritual things, but he also does it because uh, they have a way of sneaking up on a list as, as listeners and surprising us. You're reading along in the parable, and suddenly you discover that it's becoming a mirror, and you go, oh my goodness, that's, that's me right here. It's one of the reasons why Jesus told parables. And here in chapter 13, our narrator has, has collected a, a number of them that Jesus taught, and he's, he's batched them for us, I think in part so that we as readers can get a feel for the way that Jesus taught the parables, and also because it gives him in, in the opportunity to help us understand the purpose of the parables. And speaking of their purpose, if, if you just glance back down at your Bible, you'll notice probably for most of us uh, that in verses, before verses 10 through 17, that there's a header phrase 
that's been added in. And that header phrase says, the purpose of the parables. Curiously so, uh, our narrator kind of slips in this little section right in the middle of Jesus telling the parable and then explaining it. Our narrator can do what he like. He's the one putting the script together, so kudos to him. But uh, when we went from here to here and then back here, I found it to be kind of confusing. So uh, what we're going to do today just to keep things cohesive and clear is actually work through uh, this sequence of verses out of order. So we're going to start with verses 1 through 9 and just uh, walk briefly through the telling of the parable. And then we're going to jump down to verses 18 through 23 where Jesus explains it. And then at the end, we'll come back to verses 10 through 17 where Jesus uh, unpacks the purposes of the parables. Because I think once we hear it told and explained, we'll feel even more the weight of why Jesus used, purpose, used parables like he did. So with that in view, we begin in verses 1 through 9 with the telling of the parable. The telling of it. You'll notice in verse 1 that we've had a little bit of a, of a scene change because Jesus is no longer in a house. He's now in a boat. It's actually still the same day that it was at the end of chapter 12 uh, when Jesus' mom and brothers showed up to try and talk with him. But uh, now it appears that not only they showed up, but lots of other people showed up. And so Jesus got outside the house and he uh, went into a little boat. And he used that boat as his pulpit. So you can envision him seated in the boat. Uh, there's the crowd. The eyewitness account says that they were standing, presumably standing, because they didn't want to get their, their clothes wet. And from the little boat, Jesus tells the crowd this parable about a sower, or we might uh, say a farmer. A farmer who goes out into his land with a bucket of seed, and he starts tossing seed all over the place. As the farmer does his thing, uh, Jesus weaves in the detail that the soil and the condition of the farmer's field uh, varies quite a bit. So, so for example, some seed that's being sown uh, lands on the, the footpath that like cuts right through the sower's field. And because there's been so much foot traffic and, and hoof traffic, it's all uh, matted down. And so uh, the soil, it just kind of sits on the surface, which makes it easy for the birds to gobble it up. There's other seed that lands in on rocky ground. And while the seeds, they sort of can find some soil to grow up in, their, their roots ultimately so can't get down deep enough because of the terrain, resulting in those little plants getting roasted in the sun and dying out in brown death. Meanwhile, there's a third batch of seeds that land among the thorn bushes, which you probably know is bad news. Because if in the back of your garden you have thorn bushes, you know that nothing grows there. Because thorn bushes are nutrient hogs. They choke out all sorts of any attempts of good life. And so the farmer's seeds get choked out. Nothing get, gets produced in this area of the field. At this point, you're listening along to uh, Jesus' parable and you go, uh, maybe the farmer should get a new day job. I mean, this fellow's 0 for 3 in his effort team, and you're wondering, where in the world is this going? And then Jesus slips in his little surprise. Because next he says that some of the farmer's seed lands in good soil, which ends up producing this bumper crop. I say this is a surprise in the parable, because a typical farmer of the day, if you were having a really, really good harvest season, you, you might have a crop that's, that's tenfold. You, you were really successful. So uh, to hear about a farmer 
who's got a return on investment that's 30, 60, and 100-fold, I think people would have audibly gone, whoa, because that just doesn't happen. If it does, something remarkable is taking place. So people are going, tell me more. Jesus slips in this remarkable little story, and then he ends it with this enigmatic line. Verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. The end. (laughs) You go, Okay. Now, uh, imagine for a a moment that that you aren't uh, who you are today, just meaning that uh, you've probably heard this story of Jesus' parable before, and you know where things are going. Just just try to imagine that you've never heard it before. Maybe uh, think about the people there and see yourself as one of the disciples. Uh, Pick out your favorite. Uh, Think of yourself as Thomas. He's, you know, doing lifeguard duty at the beach. He's trying to do crowd control. And at the same time, he's trying to listen in to the story that Jesus is telling because he's never heard it before. He listens to it and he goes, okay, cool story, Jesus. Um, I'm really glad for the good fortune of the farmer, but I don't really know what you're getting at. What, what does farming have to do with hearing? You like finished the thing off and you said, he who has ears, let him hear. Okay, I'm trying to hear, but, but I'm not really connecting the dots. Our narrator no, lets us know that's, that's exactly what happened. Thomas, Peter, James, John, all the rest, they didn't immediately get the point Jesus was making in the parable. And so in a separate conversation, probably a little later in the day when the crowds weren't around, Jesus let them in on its meeting. And that's what we have in verses 18 through 23, the explanation of the, of the parable, the, the explaining of it. Jesus explains that the four soils represent four kinds of listeners, or really, uh, better said, two types of listeners, fruitful and unfruitful, with three varieties of fruitlessness. That's the meaning of the soil, which we'll come back to in just a minute. Next, Jesus explains the meaning of the seed by pointing out in verse 19 that the seed represents the message of the kingdom. So it's this proclamation that God's heavenly kingdom, God's rule, is being established on earth among the people of God through the Lord Jesus. It's the message of the kingdom. Or if you wanted to just sort of apply in our day, the message of the kingdom has been now gathered up for us within the pages of the Bible, and thus the seed of the word is what we have before us. The final key to understanding the parable is to recognize that the sower, the sower is anyone who teaches God's word by uh, tossing it into the lives of others. That's what Jesus was doing on this occasion. It's what the apostles did in the early church. Remember, the book of Acts says that they proclaimed Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, In our day, sowing the seed of God's word, it's what elders and and pastors do. It's what Christian parents do. It's what discipleship partners do. It's what a Bible study fellowship teachers do. We, we sow seed when we put the scriptures out there as we teach God's word. Now, w- with all that in mind, let's go back now to the symbolism of the soil. That's kind of the, the heart of all things because uh, Jesus draws little sketches about four types of hearers comparing the the receptivity of their hearts to the four different types of soil. 
So, so there's the, the packed down soil or the hard-hearted listener. There's the, the rocky soil or like the, the shallowy uh, listening uh, sort of person. There's the thorny soil. I call this a distracted listener. And then there's the good soil of the receptive hearer. First of all, verse 19. There's the person who has a hard heart that resists the word of God, which makes it easy for Satan to snatch away the truth in the same way that a bird gobbles up seed off of the sidewalk. Hard-heartedness may be because of uh, intellectual pride. You really don't expect me to believe that, do you? Hard-heartedness may be uh, rooted in moral uh, resistance. Listen, I'm just not going to stop doing what I want to do because I want to do what I want to do. Hard-heartedness can also come from apathy. Hey, I hear what you're saying, but I just really don't care that much. Uh, maybe at another point in time, I'll come back around to this, but, uh, but not today. Hard-heartedness. Yesterday, I did a graveside service for uh, a wonderful Christian woman, and there were a lot of people who uh, were in attendance. And I could fairly well read the crowd and sense that there were a number of Christian people there who uh, were, were hoping in the resurrection when they would be uh, reunited with uh, the deceased. But I could also see, as, as I looked around and I spoke, I, I could see hard-heartedness in the faces of some who were listening. I mean, it's like their thought bubbles were right there. Like, I don't like what you're saying, and to be honest, I don't like you very much. Hard-heartedness, resistance to God's word. Secondly, verse 20, there's the shallow heart, as illustrated by the seeds that fall on rocky soil. So they sprout up quickly, but then they fade away because the roots aren't deep enough. You could think about this in a variety of ways, but I think of it almost like as the, the emotional hearer, the, the sort of person who enthusiastically accepts God's word for a moment, but then after a little while becomes discouraged, realizing that the Christian life is quite difficult. Perhaps you've seen this, so that the, the, the immediate joyfulness of a newly professed faith that lasts for a few weeks, maybe even for a few months, but then difficulties surface and enthusiasm disappears. They told me that Christianity would lead to me being blessed. Well, I don't feel very blessed. They said it would give to me community and friendship, but everybody here seems to know everybody. I'm not sure anybody really likes me, and I don't know, some of these people seem kind of hypocritical and phony. There's some nice ones, but I don't know, I got problems with this and with that and all the rest. There's no doubt, of course, that true saving faith, it, it involves great emotion. Some of us, we let it out in certain ways. Others of us have it in, and it comes out in more subtle ways. But there's, there's great emotion that's attached to true conversion. But uh, genuine faith is also a matter of endurance and perseverance. And when this is absent, the shallow heart sprouts briefly, and then after a matter of time, he or she is gone. You say, well, where did so-and-so go to? I don't really know, but I should probably look them up. The shallow hearer. The hard heart, the shallow heart. Thirdly, there's the distracted heart in verse 22. Uh, this is the soil that has uh, thorn bushes, and thus the seeds that land there, they get choked out. The, the seed never grows there, Jesus says, because of thorns. 
And he, he just gives us like two examples of thorns. There's the thorn of the cares of the world. And then secondly, the thorn of the deceitfulness of riches. Or we might say the thorn of love of money and the thorn of idolatry of goals and ambitions that don't have God at the center of things. Maybe think about it like this. Uh, when you're young, I'll leave it to you to define whatever young is. When, when you're young, uh, the cares of the world might be an obsession with your education goals. I have to get this GPA, and if I don't, I think my world may collapse. Cares of the world, uh, education goals or, or athletic achievements, or just this deep sense for uh, relationship longing and acceptance and belonging. When you're in your middle years of life, some of those things are still there, but uh, the cares of the world can also now involve uh, financial stress, family responsibilities, uh, career ambition. When you're a little older, you can become preoccupied with your health and travel and leisure and retirement and do you have enough money or not have enough money, your, your kids, your grandkids, all the rest, all, all good things, but when they become idolatrous things, we get consumed by the cares of the world. Whatever phase of life you're in, there are endless ways in which something else can choke out the words of life in the gospel and in the scriptures. The hard, shallow, and distracted heart. These three little sketches or, or profiles illustrate why most people receive God's word unfruitfully. If you like, why someone can come to church for a month and hear the Bible taught and just be completely unaffected. Or uh, they might have a stirring spiritual interest, but then all of that quickly drifts away. It's kind of a discouraging story uh, that Jesus is telling us, especially if you get paid every week to stand up in front of people and sow the seeds that are supposed to go out there. You go, oh, this is going really well. Well, Jesus says, don't, don't be discouraged and don't give up and don't become cynical because there's actually a fourth sort of soil. The sort of soil that's a good soil that results in fruitful living for people. This person welcomes the word of God uh, into her life uh, immediately so that, it, so that it doesn't get snatched away. She welcomes it in deeply so that it's not withered by persecution or suffering or uh, discouragements and disappointments. Thirdly, she welcomes God's word into her life exclusively so that other concerns don't strangle it. I found those three words used by one of the commentators to be very insightful. The heart of the good listener welcomes the word of God in immediately, deeply, exclusively. And when that happens in her life, she bears much fruit. Fruit being the imagery of godliness and virtue. It's symbolism. It's the symbolism of what the Apostle Paul writes about in Galatians 5. He says that the true Christian bears in her life a harvest of Christian virtue, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, fruit of the Spirit. I think we could also add to that that there will be a harvest of Humility in the life of someone, a harvest of prayerfulness, a harvest of othersness. 
All this to say, uh, you show yourself to be a disciple of Jesus if you bear spiritual fruit. I mean, the picture is just so obvious. Uh, Jesus as Lord of your life will be as obvious to others as as a red apple is on an apple tree. Now, of course, the gospel proclaims that we aren't saved by our virtuous living. If you like, fruitfulness doesn't convert us. But but having said that, the reliable evidence that you have become a true follower of Jesus is uh, the fruitfulness of things like joy and, and peace and humility and all the rest. So with that in view, and I would hope the desire to be a person who has uh, the soil of a good heart, let me uh, briefly mention four practices that I've observed in, in fruitful and rooted Christian people. People who have a, a heart of good soil. First of all, a, a fruitful or rooted Christian often jots down something to remember when they listen to Bible teaching or after reading the scriptures for themselves. They write it something down and then they return to it later on in the day or the week. I mean, you get your little bulletin week by week and it wasn't like we got to the back page and we went, oh, I wonder what we're gonna do here. Like we need to have some creative space filler It's very purposeful that it says, hey, jot something down. I see it routinely in the lives of rooted and fruitful people. Secondly, uh, they turn the scriptures into prayer. So if there's a a, a warning to take to heart from a verse, or if there's like a, a promise to just keep on believing, there's a lesson to be learned from a character of the Bible, whatever the passage is, uh, the rooted Christian person uh, can turn it into prayer. Uh, So for example, dear Lord, please help me to have a fruitful heart that responds to your word. You know that by nature I am prone to disobedience and distraction, so please help me to have ears to hear. The third practice that I've observed in fruitful and rooted Christians is that they uh, talk with others uh, about what they have learned from the sermon, from a community group, or from their own Bible reading. They talk with fellow Christians about what they've been encouraged about, what they found to be challenging, and they ask other people the same sorts of things. If you've never done it before, admittedly, it can feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I think you'll discover that the practice of asking over a Sunday lunch what others are learning can lead to a very fruitful conversation, pun intended. Fourthly, and finally, a Christian who has a heart of good soil hears what the Bible declares and then does what it says with the Spirit of God's help. Isn't that the punchline to Jesus' parable in verse 9? He who has ears, let him hear. Hear, hear and do. The, The heart of the good listener hears God's truth and welcomes it into her life immediately, deeply, exclusively. And then by grace, she puts it into practice. Never as fully as she would hope that she could do, but consistently responding to what she's heard. So to to summarize Jesus' parable, when when the word of God is sown by a sower, like what's happening right now, uh, the discouraging reality is is that many people are going to respond unfruitfully, whether uh, because of the direct influence of the evil one, or because there's just mere superficial faith present, or because spiritual interests fade when things get challenging. 
uh, there's going to be uh, lots of non-responsiveness, but, but we mustn't become pessimistic or hopeless because there's also a bunch of people who do respond in faith and obedience, and thus their lives are changed. They, they bear oodles of, of fruit, uh, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, such an abundance of fruit that it's obvious to all that something has happened in you that you can't manufacture for yourself. And so it is that through the, the means, friends, of, of preaching and teaching the Bible, that the kingdom of God expands, growing to the great size of God's plan. That's what Jesus is, is teaching and explaining in the parable of the soil. He blesses the preaching and teaching of his word, particularly when there's a desire for it to be received. That's the parable, which now leads for us as I mentioned, those middle verses about the purposes of the parables. And I think if we now have one illustrated for us, it'll help us appreciate even more how punchy the truth is that Jesus explains. What are the purposes of the parables? That's what one of the disciples asked. Verse 10, why, why do you speak in parables? I mean, when it's just us fellas, you like talk pretty straightforwardly. But then when there are other people around, you, you, you speak in parables. Why, why do you do so? Well, one purpose behind Jesus' use of parables is that they give more understanding to some people. You know how illustrations can suddenly give you the aha moment. Oh, that's what his parables can do. Give more understanding. As Jesus says to the disciples in verse 11, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. He says, in fact, for one who has been given understanding and insight into the kingdom, more and more will be given to them through an understanding of the parables, which is to say that parables reveal God's purposes to some, while for others, the parables conceal what God is doing. Parables reveal or they conceal. that They give to some, they take away from others. Sometimes uh, the purpose of Jesus' parables is to conceal the truth from certain people. As he says in verse 11, that the secrets of the kingdom haven't just been shared with everyone. And then he says, in fact, in some sort of way, when I tell parables, sometimes what is understood by certain people is actually taken away from them. It's, it's quite a statement. You find yourself going, am I really hearing Jesus accurately? He tells stories to keep some people in the dark? Well, yeah, we're... We're hearing him correctly when he makes this uncomfortable declaration about the purpose of his parables. He illustrates it by going back in time. He says, sometimes the things that I say, they're cloaked for people. He says, how else do you make sense of this quote from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, which is about how God's people of old refused to listen to the messenger that God sent to them. In fact, what happened was that the more and more Isaiah spoke the more that people chose to plug their ears and refuse to listen to him, and the more that their hearts became calcified. They were on the verge of a spiritual heart attack. Even though Isaiah kept saying, listen, you must repent because God's judgment is coming, people just said, no, we got this thing figured out, and they refused to listen to him. They refused. So God gave those people over to their immoral obstinacy. He left them in the spiritual dark. He concealed himself from them because of their hard-heartedness. Well, 
there's some version of this happening when Jesus teaches in parables. For those who are truly seeking the parables, they, they like pull back the spiritual curtains. Well, for those who are opposed to Jesus, the uh, resistance or, or apathy or indignation, well, for those who come to Jesus in that way, his parables, they just fall upon deaf ears. I mean, in some, the, the parables bring light for those who look for it, while those who don't look for it, or I think Jesus is actually saying who don't want it, the darkness intensifies. People are given over to their obstinacy. They're left in the spiritual darkness of their choosing. Jesus conceals himself from them because of their unreceptive hearts. I mean, in that way, the parable really only has two types of listeners, those who receive and those who refuse. It makes you think of that memorable line from uh, C.S. Lewis. He said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. It's hard things to hear. It's hard things to say. But the, tr the chilling truth is that those who persist in disbelief and disobedience become spiritually calcified in the heart. While those who seek out Jesus sincerely as Lord and Savior, he shares with them the, the secrets of the kingdom. Now, he doesn't come right out here in chapter 13 and tell us what is the nature of the secret, but we can surmise that the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, it, it concerns the, the person, the work, and the words of Jesus. This is, this is the mystery that the disciples are increasingly having throughout the gospel of Matthew. They're moving right along the path of understanding. For a long time, they're like, wait, what? And then they're like, oh, and then they go, we believe. The mystery is unfolding before their eyes. They're getting it. That Jesus is this promised Messiah, the one who will suffer and die and rise from the dead, the one who's going to break down the walls of hostility between Jews and, and Gentiles. The mystery is unfolding before them. Mystery. I wonder if the Apostle Paul had uh, this in mind when he wrote over in Ephesians 1, that in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Friends, in Jesus, the mystery of God's will is made known. The the secret is it's open. And yet, it remains concealed for those who are hard-hearted, shallow, and distracted. While for anyone who's humble enough to really listen to Jesus, as he says, to, to use your ears and really hear, for those who come to Jesus in that way, you experience abundant and Fruitful growth in your life a change that is so radical that other people go you couldn't have done this yourself Something happened to you something happened in you That's exactly right some so, some seed fell into place and new things are growing Friends I hope that you'll let the the parable of the soil and the sower uh, get a hold of you uh, Especially if you see yourself in the description of the three soils if that's where you see yourself, then, then, then just know that where you are now is not where you uh, have to remain. I mean, go back to my silly story at the beginning. Soils can be replenished. 
A brown death can be turned into a green life. Soil can be made new as it's, as it's watered and as it's fertilized and it's tended to and it's cared. Uh, where you are is not where you have to remain. If you'll open up your heart to Jesus and the scriptures, if you will receive the seed of God's good word to you in the gospel, uh, he, he will make it grow. But you can't harden your heart to the Lord Jesus. You, you must open yourself up to him. And lastly, if you're among those who uh, do believe, which is to say that your heart is that of good soil, then I think when you read the parable, you just go, well, Lord, I'm just so grateful for your mercy toward me, that God's kindness has led to my uh, repentance, that, that I have real faith and growth because you did something in me that I couldn't do for myself. I can't make that seed grow. You make it grow. You made it grow inside of me. If that's true of you, then I hope that you'll be full of gratitude. You'll be full of gratitude that the mystery of God's kingdom has been made clear to you that you have eyes to see, that you have ears to hear, that by grace and grace alone, you continue to see, you continue to believe, and you continue to hear.